and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we're getting very sweaty up in her as we talk about Body Heat from 1981. But before we get started, how has your week been? Uh, it's been exhausting. Yes. Because I did my first full week of work and I'm tired. Mm-hmm. It's in a good way, though. I feel like I'm actually, I'm in less pain when I make a, a turn or a twist because I'm not supposed to rotate um, my shoulders over on my hips too much. It's less painful to move around. I'm going to do more. I'm easing back into work. Yep. Four hours a day last week. We're going to try and do five hours a day this week or six, five and six, depending right. on how the week goes. But it's, it's been, it's, it's been an experience. I, I, um, I'm grateful that I feel so much better. There's so much less pain than there was before. This is almost negligible, um, except for that, you know, every once in a while when you stoop over and you feel that sort of twang. You're not supposed to stoop. Yeah, I know, but... Keep your back straight. But anyhow, yeah, I'm doing much better. How was your week? It was good. Yeah, I feel like I got all the work I needed to get done, done, so that's good. Uh I've been in a lull emotionally, so we'll see how that goes, but... But you also had like a lot happen to you. Yeah, I think I'm coming of out of the first quarter of 2022 and right. sort of looking around at the devastation or <laughs> the not des- devastation around me and being like, okay, is everybody whole and okay? Because right. they were not. <laughs> none, of, none of my people were whole or okay. Um, but I think that most of them are now. And so now I have to like, yeah, like pro- process, process that. There was a lot of near misses. Yes, in the last couple of months, and thank God and there were near misses. And yeah. I want to be doing more for any and all people and 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 uh, projects in my life, and I don't feel like I'm doing enough anywhere, and right. that is not how I need to be looking at things, but that is currently where my brain is focused. So I'm also particularly hormonal this week. Sorry about that. So we're just trying to (laughs) ride out this week and see if next week is better. Uh, We've got Easter this weekend. Yep. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Thank you. (laughs) I made a Pillsbury Doughboy joke because I'm a bad person, but... uh, Nigo te absolvo. Thank you. You don't get to absolve me. I'm pretty sure you're not ordained. No, I am not. <laughs> uh, so hopefully we'll have a episode of our other podcast out this weekend for Easter. Yes, that's one project where I also feel like through the recovery, I've um, I like it took me the longest time to be able to look at my computer screen. Yeah. And to focus on it. Yeah. And to be and able all the while he was like, "When can I go back to work?" And I'm like, "When you can look at a computer screen and focus on right." It, it was just it was really difficult even to text things to people. Mm-hmm. Putting words together was difficult, and only in the last kind of the last three or four days trying to actually go after it and, and put everything together. So I'm really embarrassed that we've let that one go for such a long time. But it was I, I was in the hospital for weeks at a time. Yes. Yes, you were. Yeah, and you so. had major surgery that you still have scars and bruising from. Yeah. So we're not 
you're not done yet. I know. <laughs> you're still healing. Uh, you want to talk about some people who aren't healing? Some yes. people who are deep in their trauma? Deep in their trauma. Yeah. All right. We watched for this week. Uh, it's number 92 on the AFI store list. 1981's Body Heat, starring William Hurt, the sadly late and great, uh, Kathleen Turner, Ted Danson, Richard Crenna. Oh, and who played the cop? J.A. Preston. J.A. Preston. I don't know him. He yes. was good. I liked him, though. And he Mickey Rourke. Like a, and Mickey Rourke, yes, but he was only in two scenes. I don't know if we could say it starred him. <laughs> Feature, featuring Mickey Rourke. And this movie was made in 1981. Uh, I have never seen it, uh-huh. so this is a true latecomer's film for me. Uh, I was one when this movie came out, and it would not have been appropriate for me no. to watch it. Mm-mm. Well, actually, if I was one, I totally could have watched it, because I wouldn't have known the difference. I wouldn't have known what was happening. What is your history with this film? My history with this movie was that I saw it... Uh, when I was taking film classes a few years ago, uh, my screenwriting teacher was a huge fan of Lawrence Cashton. It's pronounced Cashton? Cashton. I don't, I that's don't know. That's how he pronounced it. Oh, gotcha. Cashton. Is it Cashton? I'm going to look him up. You keep talking. We're, right. we're going to talk about him next. And, um, and so he encouraged us to see some more of his work. So I saw this film. It was surprising... Because this was the same period where there were sexual thrillers, so to speak, like Basic yes, Instinct and things like that. Erotic thrillers, a thing that happened in the 80s, the early 90s, yeah, and never again. Not never again, because there's actually a new one out right now, but apparently it's terrible. It's the right. Ben Affleck and oh, Armas right. film, which falls in the erotic thriller category. I know there are several people that I listen to in various podcasts that would like to see a return of the erotic thriller, but here's the other trick with the erotic thriller. That is a movie targeted at adults that costs approximately 20 to $30 million to make, right. which is also a thing that we are not doing anymore. So that's going to be bit of bit of a problem. You can, there are some interesting uh, films on like streaming services. Yes, sure. Yeah, but Voyeur was one of them. Theatrical release is uh, not a thing anymore. And I will yeah. say, maybe theatrical release won't be a thing for much longer. <sighs> I feel well, it's like sad, but it's true. Movies are only a hundred years old, right. and this may be the next. Now that TVs are ubiquitous. Uh-huh. Home entertainment systems are ubiquitous to an to an extent. The cinema, I think, movie theaters will still be around, but I think that what they show is going to broaden, and the things that are released for home are also going to broaden. That's what I think is going to happen, especially after the pandemic. Like I like that I can go to an AMC and mm-hmm. watch a Broadway show, or a ballet, right. or an opera that I do not have the funds or the means to go to New York to right. see. I think that's a good use of a cinema screen. I also think there are other good uses of cinema screens. Rent a thing, play your own movie, have a party. These are like I don't think movie theaters right. are going away entirely, but I think they need to broaden their revenue streams. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. You were just you were saying. I agree with you in that uh 
the experience of watching an adult erotic film is not necessarily bettered by seeing it with a group of people in a room. Also that. That sounds a really kind of uncomfortable. I can... This is a rental. This is right. a take it home and watch it with your lover or by yourself. Yeah, it is, <laughs> I was watching, uh, I forget what film it was, on our television. Everyone had gone to sleep. It was a martial arts movie from the 70s, but being the 70s, there of course was... Boom. The Yeah, and the 70s uh, sex scene in every film because they were exploring boundaries everywhere. And this... The scene was really kind of ridiculously staged because people are like cutting off each other's clothes with nunchucks or something stupid like that. Okay. And when they actually got around to it, I'm sitting here in this room listening to the, the saxophone in the background and watching two people. Our screen is fairly large. Yeah. We have a TV that I had to borrow somebody else's van to get home because right. my car did not fit it. But the crazy thing is, it, I was looking at it going, I think those are the actual size of the two people in the film. Like when they were lying down horizontally, it's like, oh, that takes up our whole kind of screen. And that's probably just about how big they were in life. And so, yeah, I don't, seeing it any bigger than that, played out that explicitly, I don't think I would uh, no. Make you uncomfortable? Yes, it would. Especially with somebody in the, the front row yelling, go for it, baby! Or something like that. You know, there's always Ew. that guy. No, there isn't. Mm -hmm. Not in my world. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yes, so so not a, not a f in, in theaters situation. Right. Uh, so let's talk about Lawrence Cashton. This is his first... Is it Cashton or Cashton? I don't know. It doesn't say. Okay. Um... You pronounced it that way, so let's do that. It's Kasdan. It's Kashton. You all know who we're talking about. He's very, very famous. We have talked about him before because he did direct Dreamcatcher, which is wild. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, well. Mm. Uh, so last season, the two years that our, was our former season, uh, we did talk about Dreamcatcher at that point. Um, he's also been involved uh, with Steven Spielberg and George Lucas and their uh, sort of extended universe. So he worked on um, Star Wars films. He worked on Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones films. Right. He uh, he made a movie that I still want to see, but I had never have called the Big Big Chill. I've never seen that film. It's interesting because when you think about what he writes aside from writing for Lucas and Spielberg, where he's writing these sort of big canvases, his films tend to be interpersonal Small relationships. films, right, right exactly. They're not, he's not writing epics. Mm. Or he's not, yeah, yeah, he's not writing epics. He's writing movies about groups of people. Right. Even... Really, Dreamcatcher is a movie about a group of people in a trying experience. <laughs> so, um, he's very good. Uh, I like that his Wikipedia page indicates he frequently casts Kevin Klein in his films. Right. Like, that's a line in his Wikipedia page. Like, I mean, sure, I guess. French Kiss, sure. Um, and he made this movie in 1981. This is his first directing job, right? First. Mm. It's the first movie that he wrote and directed. So, there you go. And 
as I say, it stars a William Hurt, who is a, our hero, but is no hero, <laughs> and Kathleen Turner, who is 100% the femme fatale, mm-hmm. and nothing but a femme fatale, so right. help me God. And uh, they're very steamy, not least of which because it is hot as balls in Florida, uh, romance and murder plot. It's a murder plot, you guys. A plan comes together, but whose plan is it? You know, it's the femme fatale's plan because that's how that that's how that works. All right, you want to get into this plot? Yeah. So I wrote some notes on the beginning of this plot because all of the synopsises synopses synopsi that I read. It's not synopsi. <clears throat> Should be the wrong language. Uh sort of gloss over they literally all are like shyster lawyer meets woman plots to kill her husband and then all of the right. then they do the plot synopsis and I'm like well what leads into that like there are hints dropped about various reasons why he is all in on this plan other than the fact that he you know wants to continue seeing this woman but Let's so let's start with William Hurt. He is standing. I thought he had a scar on his back, but it was just sweat. So here we go. He is standing shirtless or possibly completely nude uh, in a doorway, looking out over a burning fire mm-hmm. while a woman is getting herself together, putting back her u- putting her uniform back on, and we'll see that as a theme. He does sleep with women in uniform, <laughs> various uniforms repeatedly through the film and he is looking out on the fire she's ripping him that he is not paying attention to her as she is getting ready and he is talking about how he is watching his childhood burn down there is a what appears to be a serial arsonist burning down old derelict buildings along the seashore this is going to be very valuable property it is you know, right, right along the shoreline in South Florida. They are about 45 minutes, maybe not even 45 minutes outside. They're in a suburb of Miami. They're close to Miami, but Miami is away. They don't live in Miami. They don't call themselves Miamians or whatever my people in Miami call themselves. Uh, we then see him at work, and we find out that he is either a bad lawyer, a lawyer to bad people, or both. It's unclear I at think, this point which of those things. I think he's is mostly true. a lawyer to bad people. Mm, and he does I have. I would a, argue that uh-huh. the four years earlier situation would indicate that he's also a bad lawyer. He's just, he's lazy. He's uninterested in doing difficult work. He's uninspired, I yes. think. And so he he's an interesting character because he's so morally gray he doesn't really have a compass he doesn't no he is self-interested and Uh small-minded and narrow focused but still likable sure in some strange way but he is in no way a hero right i would argue uh so we see him uh having lunch at this diner several times he's got two friends and two friends only oscar a detective Mm -hmm. a homicide it looks like but general police detective for our purposes and oh i've forgotten his name uh uh ted danson yeah ted danson's character peter 
Peter what? Lowenstein. Lowenstein, that's right. Uh, and he is the assistant DA. The so, dancing DA. Yes, and he dances repeatedly through this film for no reason. Right. Would you indicate that Ted Danson did a lot a lot in his early work? I had never seen it before. So, uh, And he was a dancer at one point in his life. Like, Ted Danson. Not, right. I don't know anything about Peter Lowenstein other than he, dan- he has long dance scenes Twice in this movie, once in the background, and once all we're watching is him dancing on a boardwalk. There's a kind of a weird sort of victory dance thing that he's doing too. There is that. That's the one in the background. Yes, after a deposition where he succeeds at something, and then he just goes into this sort of solo dance. Yes, and we don't. We're not focused on that. He's in the background of a scene where we're talking, or we are focused in the foreground on our couple. And it's it's an interest. I was like, what is he doing back there? Right. <laughs> What's happening? And you shouldn't be this excited if you think that you're going to lock up your best friend or whatever. So we we see them. Those are their those are his friends. Then we see him at an outdoor concert. It's hot. I need to reiterate that this film. It's a thousand degrees at any and all times. So this is so Ned Racine. We're seeing at the concert. Yes, Ned Racine. At a concert, and then he sees a beautiful woman standing at the boardwalk looking out over the beach, and he goes up and he hits on her real hard, and she is like, married, married. He, uh, acqui- or she acquiesces to let him buy her a snow cone rather than a drink because it's hot as balls. They get the saddest, lowest filled snow cones that ever were made. I was like, they just got ripped the fuck off. I, I think that that was an indication of how poorly the ice was holding up. Maybe. Maybe that's what it was. Uh, and he, I think, spills his on her or something like that. Yeah. And she has cherry all over her red dress. And he goes to the bathroom, the, the public restroom there, to grab some water and paper towels to help her clean up. Uh, wherein he sees a teen who I feel like any other year would have been played by Corey Haim, who is smoking a joint. That kid never comes back. But I was just like, this is a weird... He's like just in this bathroom, which has... It's not even a stall. One toilet. Right. Not even a urinal. One toilet mm-hmm. and a sink. <laughs> it's like, what's going on with this bathroom? But okay. And he is. he gets, her, gets some paper towels, goes back outside, and she is gone. But he has gleaned that she might live in a place called Pinehurst Mm. because the people there are well-tended and she is well-tended. Then this motherfucker fully stalks this lady, just goes to Pinehurst to various outdoor activities and bars hoping to run into her for multiple scenes. We see him take home other women Many in uniform. There are nurses. There's a flight attendant. (laughs) Uh, And then finally, he does find her at a bar. She allows him to sit next to her. They notice other men looking over at her. And she's like, well, it's because everybody else has tried and you're the only one I've let sit here. And then uh, they talk about her wind chimes. Because she has wind chimes and she loves them. She has a huge collection of wind chimes. Yes, it turns out. Y'all, I love wind chimes, actually. I did collect them for a little while. 
this bitch has too many wind chimes because they they're not they're all they all sound different mm. and so they're dissonant. But she talks about how usually like she keeps hearing the wind chimes and she'll go out onto her veranda hoping for the cool breeze because that's what the chimes mean. But not now, not this year. Now it's just hot air. Right. He's like, so you think I am hot air? They're very um, bantery with one another. Yeah, this this is really a throwback to the Howard Hawks kind of banter between men and women. And you see it a lot in film noir. This is a noir film. Yes. A neo-noir. Yeah. Um, in that they, part of their amusement is to see who drops the ball first in terms of... I guess of, so. There's a needling and, then, right. and, a, and a pushing to see how far is too far. But y'all, there's no too far. No, right away he's aware of the fact that despite her protests about being married, she's playing with the idea and she's toying with Mm -hmm. him too. And uh, he asks to follow her home to see the wind chimes and she's like, you can see the chimes, but that's all. If I let you, that's all. Mm -hmm. But then she says, you have to follow me out or you go first and and then follow me in your car. And He's like, why? And she goes, because I live in a small town. I have a husband. Right. And I may have to come here, and I can't be seen with somebody else. And she's like, well, he's like, well, I don't know who you're fooling, because you've been pretty friendly. And she slaps him, and then walks to another place in the bar and sits down. And then he goes out to his car, and then does follow her home. And he goes and looks at the wind chimes. He makes a little bit of a move. She does rebuff him. She pushes him away. But before she does, she kisses him and then closes the door behind him. And he goes to his car and then he walks back. And then he's looking in all the windows. And then he does break a window. Right. He breaks into this Throws woman's house. Throws a chair through a French, you know, this. It's like a French door with a it's glass. Not, I don't think it's the French door. I think it's the side of the uh, door. I don't think it's the actual door. It's still the house has no structural integrity anymore now because he has broken in he walks through the glass and he kisses her and then it's on y'all yes it is it's on we should mention that the film is fairly explicit there's a lot of there's boobs Uh everywhere there's a lot of uh, nudity a lot of ass I find it interesting for these two actors right Uh that they're are literally rolling around on each other naked. And you see that a lot. Yes. Um, so William Hurt, uh-huh. I see him doing that quite a, li- a lot. And Kathleen Turner, at this point in her career, mm-hmm. also kind of did that right. a lot. I'm trying to figure out if they were ever... A couple? Yes. Not really. That was her... It's her television or her film debut right. is this film, which is wild. The first time you're on a set and it's like fucking stripped down, we're right. gonna see nipple. Like uh, uh, the things we ask women to do, uh, and it's not. I mean, I understand for the for the purpose of the filmmakers and what they want to give to the audience, it's uh-huh. necessary. For the purpose of the film, it's I'm, not. <laughs> I hope she was given a lot of warning about how explicit the part was going to be. I also hope that on. Uh, a male director's first at helm, he was not calling his buddies in for the ex the uh, sex scenes. Yeah. Brian De Palma, I'm looking at you. Um, 
Because, frankly, one of the people that Brian De Palma could have been calling at that same time when he had all those people come in uh, for Carrie, one of them was Spielberg, so one of them could have been this guy. Yeah. Like, uh, and I hope he did did better. I hope he did better. So, um, the the nice thing about her life is that her husband is only home on the weekends, so they continue to see each other at her place. Maybe at his, but always. I, I think it's always at hers because, you know, she lives in a fancy house and he lives in a shitty apartment. <laughs> so, uh, one day he is, and, and this house is, um, there's a big, big house with a bunch of wind chimes, and then there's a big lawn, and then there's a gazebo. And then there's a big lawn, and then there's a boathouse, right. and then there's water. So that's the layout of the property, which will come into play later. So one day he sees uh, this beautiful blonde woman from behind, standing at the gazebo, looking out over the ocean, and he walks up behind her and says, hey, want to fuck? Because <laughs> he's nothing, if not smooth. He's very gallant, that man. And a different woman who is not his Maddie. Oh, that's her name, by the way. Maddie mm-hmm. turns around. And that's when Maddie comes in. Hands this woman an envelope that could only be filled with cash. Like, there's right. no other thing that is in this envelope. It's cash. And then she goes and, and she says, you know, have fun, everybody, guys. But we find out that this is Marianne Simpson, a friend who's like a sister. And now she's going to fuck off uh, to go on a vacation. Right. Uh, ostensibly in Europe. We don't hear that now. We hear that later. She will be coming back up in this. So to speak. Plot. Uh, then I have sort of three things that happen, but I can't remember the order that they happen in. I believe that the first thing that happens is the plot is hatched. She keeps talking about how she can't say it because it's too terrible, but she wants her husband dead. Because her husband's a criminal, and she knows that he's and a criminal. And she's afraid of him. And she's afraid of him. And so she, she's in love with William Hurt's right, Mad Racine. And plays into all, she pushes all the buttons that... It's or, just, it's, yes. It's, that he needs to no activate his brain. There's no possible reason that, right. that this man should stay alive, this, that, and the other. So she starts talking about it, but we can't say it out loud because something bad could happen. And, and then he's like, but he's healthy, so nothing bad will happen. Right. Uh, then there is a scene where there is a dinner. Uh, they are outside. He goes into a restaurant. She is there with her husband. Uh, waiting for a table as well. And I don't know if this was hatched. I can't remember. Was he going to meet her? I don't think so. I think he I seems think to be genuinely just... surprised when he's walking through the door of the restaurant. Uh, right. Oh, uh, that the two of them are there. Right. And she they're both there. fucking totally uncomfortable. Right. Um, but he, she introduces him to her husband as an attorney that she met. She met because... She's, uh, she claims, or her backstory, and she's apparently really good with these things on the fly. Yeah. She says, uh, Ned approached me while you were away because somebody was interested in oh, buying our in house. Buying the house. That's what it was. That's and right. I told them we're not interested. And then, you know. And he says, you know, has that changed? And, 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 uh, her husband, who's played by Richard Crana, mm-hmm. says, you know, no, no, it hasn't, but it is a beautiful house. Um, and then, 
you know, he and, and she's very good. She's like, Mr. Racine, is it? Right. And introduces her husband. And then she's like, oh, I didn't get your first name. Like, yeah. she's very like putting up walls between them. And her husband, of course, invites him to have dinner with the two of them. Uh, we find out that he had been a lawyer, but didn't like it. So sort of now works. He's one of those people who's like, Import exports, or right. <laughs> so he has a develop. He's a developer, but he's also a bunch of other shit. It's shady as fuck. Well, oh. you know exactly what he's. <laughs> this motherfucker yeah. is a criminal enterprise unto himself, and uh, makes a lot of money. And he, Ned, is self-effacing. Like he, he says, you know, how's the lawyer business or whatever. You know, how's how's it pay or, you know, what are you pulling down? I love that phrase. Uh, and, you know, Ned's like, you know, it's it's fine. I can, you know, come here once a month. And if I don't order an appetizer or whatever, like it's an expensive meal, it's an expensive place. Maddie excuses herself at one point and and uh, her husband does her whose name is Edmund does lean forward and is like, if I ever find out she was fucking somebody else, I'd kill him. I think I'd kill him. And I'm like, mm, is this a threat yeah, directly? Or that's a warning. Oblique. Do you think this man is fucking your wife or do you just want to make sure this man doesn't fuck your wife? I think it's the second one. Because also, you leave her alone right. with no job and no people around her five days out of the week. <laughs> yeah, that kind of creates this sort of mythological level to it. In other words, he's seeing her like Rapunzel. She's in a tower. Yeah. And she's separated from everybody. Yeah. And he goes and sees her in her tower. They yeah. can't really leave there. Except she's not separated from everybody. Right. Everybody, because she has a, a car. Right. But what I mean is that world. to a person like Ned yes, seeing this... He's a... He, well, to Edmund, she's... Yes, she's a, a prize. Right. That she, he keeps on a shelf... Um, yes, so that meal happens, and then there is a conversation wherein she's like, I'm so scared of him, uh, he's a bad man, I don't know what to do, I'm so unhappy, I love you so much, I don't know what's going to happen, and at that point, the plot is firmed up wherein Ned says, he's going to die because we want him to die. Right. We're going to kill him. Like, I, I know how we can do it. Um, and it, it, <laughs> the thing he wants to do implicates him in a crime that he's probably actually, um, right. responsible for. <laughs> what well, seems to, cause I can see William Hurt does a lot of great face acting in this film. Oh my God. There's a scene later that is incredible. For and face acting. him and Richard Crenna are, and this is, this is such a high level of acting. This is what I like about this movie. Yeah. Uh, Richard Crenna and he have a discussion. He discusses the restaurant that he and his, uh, rather, that uh, Ned Racine and his family went to that was from the beginning of the film. And this is on property that mm -hmm. Edmund owns. Yes. And the implication is that Edmund just burned it down. Like yeah. he's going to burn down all this property. Yeah. And that he owns, and they know that he owns, or that. He has interest in is mm -hmm. how it's always put. He doesn't own it, but he is right. part of a group that has interest in the land rights under these things. And one of I think the one that is at stake here is called like the Breakers or something. It's an old yeah. restaurant. It's all boarded up. It's nothing now, but it's still a building, and it's not 
making anybody any money as it is. So, you know, can't, can't stand for long. Um, we see a scene. This is when Mickey work enters the, the picture. Mickey work in 1981 looks so different than yeah. Mickey work. Now it's ridiculous. He's very pretty. His mouth seems very small. <laughs> that is the one thing. It's like, your face is like weird proportioned. Uh, and Mickey work is a former client. Maybe current client, but definitely former client of Ned Racine. And he is an explosives expert. And he builds Ned a bomb. Because, sure, what, that's the kind of thing you do for your former attorney. Mickey Work makes him this, this explosive. He says there's two problems with it. One, they're going to know that it's there. It's a big right. thing. And after it does its job... It's still going to be a big thing. They're going to know it's arson. He's like, I don't care about that. And two, um, this is a bad thing. Don't do it. Like, right. he's literally like, I've done this. I'm giving it to you. I'm telling you, use your free will to choose to choose good. Make the next right choice. Coming here was a bad choice, but make the next right choice. Um, and uh, he doesn't. Y'all, Ned, it's make a bad choice. He's very single-minded uh, at this point. Yeah. The other thing that happens in the same span of time is that um, I believe it might be af right after the dinner. Her husband goes and leaves, but his sister comes and brings. Oh. No, his, his her husband comes back to visit for the weekend and then brings her niece, uh, his sister's daughter, Heather. Uh, and she... Um, is going to stay with until Thursday when Roz is going to pick her up. So we see Kathleen Turner at the, at a pay phone. Cause mm, when you had an affair in the eighties and you didn't want your husband Lots to know the phones. phone calls you were making, you had to go to a pay phone. <laughs> so gross. Uh, saying you can't come because there's a child here who's old and who's like 12 or 13 old enough to know that you shouldn't be here so you can't be here and of course he does sneak up there he shows up i don't know if it's actively raining he's so wet i think he, he came there. out of the ocean like he swam around and um oh maybe and came up yeah because she says you're so property. salty oh okay that's so, crazy because he is not, he's just wearing like jeans no shirts his mm -hmm. hair is wet um and he starts kissing her when she's out on the porch and uh, she's like, you can't. Heather's upstairs. And he's like, it's fine. Heather's and, asleep. Yes. Uh, and then he does zip, zip uh, unzip his pants. You, like In the captioning, it's like, pants unzip. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So aggressive. And we look away, and then we hear, Aunt Maddie. And, of course, Heather catches them. And uh, he apparently fucking looks at her with his dick fully out, which we find out later. And uh, she runs away. I don't remember what happens, but he ends she up leaving. Upstairs. She runs upstairs. And I'm sure that that's the... They don't fucking finish having sex, do they? No, 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 they don't. I, I can't. No. They're terrible, but I don't think they're no. that fucking terrible. And then we have, as the plot is hatching and coming along, we have a conversation where Maddie talks about how she would like Ned to alter 
her husband's will because currently she splits everything with Heather, the niece. And she starts this argument by saying, well, Roz is going to have access to the money and she's going to spend it all and Heather was never going to get to see it anyways. And then she ends it with the phrase, why should I have to share it with Heather? So she doesn't even have right. a coherent a, through think, line in this conversation. To me, if I'm going to get inside of Ned Racine's head, the character, yeah, which I think I've been in before, actually. Dun, um, dun. But this is the point that should be the first huge warning sign that all of the, the dewy eyes and the yeah, breathless... Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because she is clear-eyed and Statements talking about, love let's, and, let's change this. Right. And he's like, nothing in Edmund's life, uh-huh. especially having to do with his finances, can change right now. Because it'll be really suspicious. It'll be fucking suspicious right. as hell. They're going to look at everything about him, and it's going to be hella suspicious. And uh, so she drops it. As far as Ned knows, she drops it. Uh, and then it is the night of the murder. And here's what they're going to do. He is going to break in downstairs. She is going to send Edmund downstairs at a particular time. Edmund is going to, um, or and Ned is going to pop out of a closet and hit Ned repeatedly with a big stick. <laughs> it's like a two by four. Uh, there's a reason for that, but... And then they will wrap his body. He will drive the body to that breaker's building that uh-huh. his he has a quote-unquote interest in. He will splash some gas around. He will leave the body and the two-by-four that has struck him. And he will set this explosive, blow it up, and Edmund will be caught there as if he had been the arsonist and his arson had caused him to get murdered by the building trying to fight back, I guess. That's the two-by-four. That's right. why he's hitting him with a two-by-four instead of trying to shoot him or something else. The idea is he's done this to himself. His own bad actions have brought him here, and he uh, has died in the uh, commission of a fe- of an arson. Right. It does two things for them. It both gets him out of the way, and it also exposes what he's been doing to the police. Yes. So they can begin teasing out the threads. Yes. Um, and as it turns out, he's right in the um, conjecture that they're going to see he's a bad guy, and they're not going to look too deep. Right. They're going to look a little bit deeper, though, because... Um, there's some loose threads. So first of all, Edmund almost leaves earlier than he's supposed to. And so Maddie has to lure him back into bed with her body. And then uh, they hear a noise downstairs rather than her sending him. They hear a noise. And Edmund goes into the closet and pulls out a gun. A gun that Maddie did not know was in the a house. A huge gun, I would add. And she's like, Where, what is that? Where did that come from? I've never seen that before. And he's like, I'm going to give this... This guy, it's before Stand Your Ground was even a thing, but Florida's really been doing this for a long time. I'm going to give this guy, you know, a taste of his own medicine or whatever. And so he goes down and Maddie follows him out and from the landing yell once they're down and she knows that Ned's in the closet ready to jump out. She yells, he's got a gun. (laughs) And I'm like, 
well, your plan better work now, bitch, because he's going to shoot you if he if he succeeds in right. shooting this other. Like, if he kills the intruder at this point, whoever that would be, he's coming after you next because you definitely didn't say that for his benefit. He now knows you are in cahoots. And I was just like, ooh, that was a... She had to do it, but it was a ballsy fucking move. It's probably... And it's, I think, the only place where her plan fucking fluctuates a little right. bit, right? So Ned comes out with his two-by-four and does succeed in knocking the gun away and then beating Edmund to death. They wrap him in plastic and put him in the back of, I believe, his own vehicle. Uh, and he drives... Ned drives the body through the foggiest... Foggiest. It's so foggy. It is like... There's never been anything but hot, sweltering heat and clearness. And then tonight, it's foggy as hell. He almost gets in car accidents. He almost drives off the road. It's foggy. It's like one of those universal uh, Sherlock Holmes films. It's a pea soup Everything is just really almost... Yeah, I guess it happens. I mean, you have heat. It does, yeah. But, um, yeah, it was crazy. Yes, and... It was perfect cover too. To take care of his vehicle, I believe, Mm -hmm. and anything that's in the house. She's going to roll up the rug and get rid of it. Uh, Anything else? Anything else? We'll just call it anything else for now. We'll come back to what those anything that anything else is in a little bit. Uh, He does end up setting the explosive like we don't actually see any of that like once he gets to where he's going we just cut to later and we know that Edmund is dead uh there's an arson there's an investigation done of course by his buddies because of course (laughs) that's what happens and uh then there is a call a phone call. Yeah, it seems like at this point, the investigation done by the 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 cop and the DA, right? Yeah. And so at this point, you're watching this film, watching this murder plot go along. You would think that if it ended right there, everyone would have gotten away with it, right? He would have gotten away with yes murder, mm-hmm. um, and she would. Well, there there's. There's two threads, uh-huh. and one thread makes the other thread way worse. Yeah. The first thing is Ned gets a call from Edmund's lawyers in Miami. Right. Oh, we also should say um, the night of the murder, Ned goes on a business trip to Miami, checks into a hotel, sneaks out of that hotel, and goes back. To that's why it has to be at a certain time uh-huh. because he has to have the time to get to Miami and back and then back to the hotel that he was at, um, and that'll come in later. Uh, so he has an alibi for the night of the murder, if anybody asks for an alibi. Um, now he gets a call from the attorneys who are in Miami, saying the there's a there's a problem with this new will that you drafted as you well know and uh, we'd like to have a meeting tomorrow at 10 a.m. and then she says he says that um, you know Maddie informs us that she'll be back in in your area then so let's do this tomorrow in your neck of the woods we'll be there at 10 a.m. this is the location 
And so then he, and he does not, he did not change the will. He knows he didn't change well, the that's will. that's what I mean. And now he knows that Maddie did change the Up will. Up until he gets this call, had it just stopped there, everything would have worked fine. But her insistence on having to have it all. Oh, he thinks. Right. That's what he thinks. Right. Uh, and so he shows up the next day. Mm-hmm. Does not know what he's walking into. Roz and Heather are... No, Roz is there, but Heather is not. No, she's not. Um, Maddie is there. He gives condolences around the table. He sits down. He looks perplexed. And everything is laid out. And what is laid out is... There are changes to the will, but nothing particular. Nothing glaring. Uh-huh. He hasn't re like like given things that were going to one person to another person. It's not that. It's a it's it's like the addition of a couple of phrases. And those phrases are things like in perpetuity, <laughs> which is a phrase you can't put in a will in Florida. I don't know if you can do it elsewhere. Um but those issues in this new will nullify the will. And wills don't just go back to the previous version if the new one is nullified. It's as though he died intestate. And in Florida, if you die without a will, everything goes to the spouse. And there are no heirs. Right. And there are no heirs. Edmund has no children. So that means Maddie defaults to everything. She doesn't owe oh, it's all mine, and then she's and then the, his attorneys are like, but it's clear from both of the wills that we know about that he intended for Heather to get half. And Roz is like, uh, you know, I'm Roz is pissed, and but is biding her time so that she can see if Maddie is going to do the thing that her husband wanted her to do. Right. And so she's just. Mm-hmm. So it's keeping it all inside for a little bit. Now that's when we, this is the first dance scene that we see. Cause the other people that are there or the other person that is there is the DA on the murder case or on the homicide case. We right. don't know if it's murder. It's a, the death of a man. We'll call it homicide. Um, which is of course, Peter Lowenstein, his, his buddy, Ted Danson sitting in the far edge <laughs> of the table. Probably not to inhale all the smoke. Because at one point, one of the attorneys is like, does anybody mind if I smoke? At which point, everybody pulls out a cigarette or a cigar. Everybody's sitting at the table except Peter. uh He's offered a cigarette by Roz, and he's like, no, I'll just breathe the air. (laughs) And it sounds like that's a 1981 thing if I've ever fucking seen it. And uh, then... Uh, and we see he walks Maddie to her car, and Maddie is like, it's just a matter of time, and it's all going to be mine, and we're going to be fine, and it's going to be great. And he's like, what did you do? Like, I didn't, I told you not to do this. And she's like, everything's going to be fine. I didn't change it. I just broke it. <laughs> like, that's basically what she did, right? Which actually, if this is her whole plan, um, that was a smart piece of lawyering. It was, but the other piece, oh, that we didn't say. Mm -hmm. In this meeting, 
a case that Ned had done four years ago that got him uh, disbarred for a little while. He's rebarred now, but he was um, uh, put on leave and he mm-hmm. lost his job. And there's a reason that he's like a solo practitioner now and stuff. Um, was four years ago he fucked up another will. He fucked it up. <laughs> and it was invalid. And uh, now this has happened again. Like, this is a thing that is a pattern. Um, And he, you know, he walks her to our car and she's like, you know, come over tomorrow or whatever. He's like, we need to stay away from each other. Like, it doesn't, I'm not coming over there. And she's like, well, you know, I'm going to be there and I I expect you to be there, but, you know, so, you know, come or whatever. He's like, we need, no, we're not doing that. And we see in the background, this is the scene where they're having this fight sort of in the front and in the background, Ted Danson is dancing. He has walked Roz to her car and is dancing across the parking lot. And I'm like, what's happening back there? So weird. Uh, And then um, he goes home. Mm Mm-hmm. And when he walks into his apartment, Oscar and Peter are sitting there. <laughs> so uh, he's like, come on in. Can I get you a beer? Peter's like, I already had one. I was just like, Jesus Christ. So he gets himself a beer. He starts stripping off because, guys, it's hot. Please know that this man wants to wear a shirt never. Uh, and he that his friends are like... Um. This woman is fucking tr- this woman is trouble. This mm-hmm. woman is trouble. Like um the the oh, we should say the other thing about the will is it was drafted by Ned Racine and um witnessed by Marianne Simpson. Who is the friend from the gazebo. Who is the friend from the gazebo who is traveling in Europe and cannot be reached for a number of months is the is the conceit here. And his buddies are like, uh, you need to stay away from this woman because it looks like she killed her husband. We don't know if you had anything to do with it, but we feel like she had something to do with it. And they tell him his glasses weren't there. His glasses, he wore steel-framed glasses. He was very proud of them. He had them with him at all times, and they were not at this fire. They would not have melted. The frames at least would have stuck around, which means it looks like he was killed somewhere else, and moved to this location. So, that's a fucking problem. And they both describe how, at least, uh, Ted Danson's character is like, well, the more I learn about him, the more I'm glad he's dead. He's just going to go on this sort of reign of terror and burning things. And Yes, he's and, a bad uh, guy. Right. The people he knew were bad guys. Right. You don't want to be any part of this. And also, she is... Trouble. Trouble. She has almost no history, this woman. Yeah. Uh, and she seems shady as hell. And now right. she is inheriting everything, which is never a red flag. Never, never, never. What's interesting t- to me is that the way that Ned Racine plays his response, which is she's beautiful yeah. and she's rich. And if she wants to keep seeing me, I'm going to keep seeing not her. Just, not keep seeing me. Right. If she wants she to... She invited me to right. her house tonight, and fuck you guys, I'm going. Right. Because there's no downside for me here. Because right. Because she's free now. 
I don't I didn't know her before. Mm-hmm. I met her he he sticks to the story of, you know, I met her when she, they asked me to redo the will. Right. I think she might he might have told told tell them he met her husband first. Um oh, or he might that. have stuck to the story of another client uh-huh. wanted to buy their house whatever it was. He he, he says they hired me to do the will. Because so now he is like, well, that's the story, and I can't. Right. If I say anything against it, I'm only going to implicate everybody more. Like, and I love this woman. Mm-hmm. He does believe that he loves this woman. He might actually love this woman, and he believes that she loves him. And and so she's he's not going to sell her down the river. He is now locked into the story of I did change the will. Yeah. Um. And there's a. And now this woman today, she asked me to go to her house tonight, and I'm going to fucking go because I have nothing to lose here. Like, until she gets arrested, why wouldn't I enjoy that? Like, why wouldn't I? And they're like, she may have killed somebody. And he's like, "Mm." (laughs) worth it, I guess, is his uh, point of view. And um, so he does. He goes over, and they continue their relationship out in the open now. Right. Um, but they do have a conversation about those glasses. She's like, he's like, what happened to the glasses? You were in charge of dealing with them. What happened to them? And she's like, I don't know where they are. I don't have them. Maybe the housekeeper took them because she had fired the housekeeper like the next day. Yeah. Um, and they go back and forth over the glasses and still keep having sex with each other. And he's getting more and more sort of paranoid. And then there's a conversation. He gets called in because Mickey Work's character has been picked up. Right. He's in jail and he goes, he calls him uh, as an attorney and he goes in and he says, Oh, I'm not, I've got a new attorney. I'm not hiring you. Um, But what I am going to do is uh, tell you that a really pretty woman came and asked me, told me that you referred her because of this bomb that was at the breakers that that happened at the, you know. Right. And uh, asked me to make one, and I did, and told me how to, uh, and I told her how to put it on a door door timer, like when Mm. a door opens. So you need to be aware of that. I'm just telling you (laughs) because it seems like you need to know that. Uh, But I'm not, you're not my attorney. (laughs) So you don't have to worry about any of this, the rest of this stuff. And fine. And then there's a scene in the police station. And this is where William Perk does a fucked up right. acting. It's so good. And he's in there with Peter and Oscar and they're breaking down this thing of like, um, it looks like, Basically saying it looks like it's her and a lover, which is maybe you, but we don't say that out loud. I don't know that they suspect him at all at this point. I think that the Oscar does. Oscar 100% does because Oscar is now going down to the hotel in my, because they're asking Mm. what is, what is, they ask him for his alibi at this right. point. He's in Miami. He's like, what do you mean you were in Miami? He goes, yeah, I go places. I was in Miami. I stayed at this hotel. He gives that information. And Oscar does end up tracking that shit down um 
Oscar is starting to believe it. That's why Pete, when Peter has the conversation with him on the boardwalk later after his dance number, he's like, look, I don't really want to fucking prosecute this. I don't, I don't want to bring more people down into this prosecution and then I have to. He was a bad fucking dude and I'm cool that he's dead. But Oscar's a good cop and he's not going to stop. Right. Okay. Like, be aware that Oscar... But in this scene, it's unclear. And he's just trying... He's that Both of them are still trying to get him away. Like, I think that... Because that was the impression I got her. that this particular scene, at this point in the story, they're trying to sort of like have an intervention. Almost. We're your friends. Stay away from this woman. And here's the evidence. This girl uh, interrupted Maddie giving a blowjob to a guy on the deck of her house when she yes. was staying there. Yes. Um, the, the, uh, that poor little girl. They did, he doesn't know how much she saw or right. how, how much she saw at this point. So what he does, he says, Oscar says, do you want to go out the back? Uh-huh. Giving him an out also, just saying if he takes the back entrance because he doesn't want to walk out in front of this girl, who he we find out then Peter passed him coming into the hallway. She's sitting right out there. You're uh-huh. going to walk past her if you leave out the fucking front door. And Oscar goes, do you want to go out the back? You can go out the back. She's, they've been through enough. They know, like, they know that you are like kind of responsible for them losing all of this money. If you don't want to have a confrontation with this with this cop, or with this woman, uh-huh. you don't have to do that. Here's the back entrance. And he's like, no, I'm going to go out the front. And he goes and fucking ballsy as shit. He goes and he um, stops and gives his condolences to Roz again. And then he leans down in fr- like squats down in front of Heather, who's looking down at the ground. And when he does that, he like flips his hair in front of his face to change his whole hairline in the way that it, he looks. Because uh-huh. he's got a bit of a receding hairline. And it was slicked back that night because uh-huh. uh, it was wet. Right. right. He'd just come out of the ocean. And he talks to her a little and doesn't seem like she... And, and he's very kind to her and it doesn't seem like she knows... Like, recognize... She doesn't, like, recognize him, right? Um, and then he walks off. And later we find out from Peter that he didn't... She didn't see a face. She just saw dick. She just saw, like, her first erect penis in real life and it fucking like freaked her out she has no recollection right. of it she's like it was a white dude of of a certain height but other than that there's no there's no and that's that scene where um oscar is and peter are in the uh police uh, station and yeah. they're reviewing the their idea of how the crime was committed yeah and putting together pieces that Ned knows happened. Yes. And how he could be tied to it. And also uh-huh. talking about how Heather's sitting right out there. Right. Like right now. The look the looks on his the, face. The look, it's like 70 looks in the span of a minute or something like that. It's so good. And if Oscar's watching him, he's like, oh, fuck. Right. Like he, like he's, he's, he's holding it together, but there are enough micro expressions happening on his face that a cop is going to... And, and a DA, frankly. If right. they're looking at him, they know that he had something to that do with was, shit. That was just a very... Because you po- you pointed out while it was happening. I was and like, like, his face! That was amazing. <laughs> it was. It was incredible. <laughs> and then he uh, he does have a conversation on the boardwalk with Oscar, where, or with um, Peter, where he's like, Shit's getting real, real for you right now. Like, real, real. 
uh, Oscar's not going to stop. He's like a dog with a bone, and mm-hmm. he's a good cop, and he's not going to just let this go. And we see Oscar down at the hotel, going through everything, go seeing where the room is, where this is, and then getting some information from the hotel staff that we hear about later. And then Maddie, he gets a call from uh, Ned, gets a call from Maddie, and says, "I found the glasses." Um, the, the, I, I paid the, the, the maid had them and I paid her and, um, yeah. and, uh, she gave them back to me. They're in the boathouse, in a drawer in the boathouse. So you can go get them. Uh-huh. And then our problem is solved. Sure, Maddie. And he goes to the boathouse and he looks in and he sees. Through the window. Just open the door. Yes. He sees the explosive device. Right. And then he's got this, he's like, he walks up to the door and puts his hand on the door and then he walks away because he doesn't want to believe that Maddie has done this to him. He doesn't want to believe that maybe Maddie has done this to him the whole time. Right. Um, Oh, because earlier, I think maybe that day, Mm -hmm. he had a conversation with Somebody comes up to him and recognizes him. Yeah, another lawyer. Like, hey, do I know you? And he's like, I don't, I don't know. Um, and he goes, Oh, I'm from such and such uh, firm. And he goes, I'm Ned Racine. And the guy's like, Oh fuck, I'm so sorry. I didn't. I stepped in it. I'm so sorry, man. And he, it turns out that this was an attorney that was de- that dealt with the will business from four years ago. And he's like, hey, but I tried to make it up with, to you. I, I sent some business your way. This this hot woman was looking for an, a lawyer uh, up, uh, in your area. And I sent her your way. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's he's like, did you tell her about the case? Whatever the case was. And that, that I... That like the reason right. for our falling out. Did you tell her about that? And he's like, no, I wouldn't. I, you know, I was trying to get you business, like keep business from you. He's like, fuck you. Did you tell her? And he's like, I might have, you know, told the story about how we met or whatever. And that's when Ned knows that. And and she's like, and he's like, well, when was this or whatever? And it was a go. It was before they met. And so he now is like, I've been a pawn the whole time. Yeah. Which was another great face moment for him, poor guy. It was. And so he now knows. And he's like, he he knows that he's fucked. He knows that now he she's setting him up. And she, he, he's like, well, if I, I, I might as well just fucking open this door and blow myself to shit because I'm going to go to fucking prison now for the yeah. murder of this dude that I did in fact murder. So fair, fair play, I guess. And, um, as he's going back and forth, going back and forth, he goes back up to the, towards the house and Maddie pulls up and she's got the money somewhere. He's like, I've got, she's like, I've got it. We can go anywhere. We can do anything. Do you have the glasses? Like she doesn't fucking break. And he's like, mm-hmm. I didn't, see them or he said i didn't see them that's what he says he doesn't say they aren't there he says i didn't see them she's like oh well they're right there in the drawer did you did you want to go look and she's he's like i didn't see him and she kind of is like oh i think he might know some things and 
So she's like, well, I'll, I'll go get them. And he's like, okay, you do that. No, I'll wait here for you. And she walks towards the boathouse and he like follows her down. And as she's getting close, he's like, oh no, I, he, she, he starts running after her because he doesn't want her to blow herself up or well, she also whatever it is. She turns to him do. at one moment and just says, whatever you believe, I loved you. I I've always you. loved you. Yeah, I've always loved you, right. And then he's And then this is also when Oscar shows up because he's looking for both of them right. right now. At this point, yes, he absolutely knows what's going on. Yeah. And uh, so Maddie goes, does open that door. We don't see it. Mm-hmm. We see. Ned see the boathouse explode and Oscar behind him see Ned and see the boathouse explode and now it looks maybe like he blew her up too they find a body that matches her it is her it well, well it, <laughs> <in a second. laughs> so the next thing we see is him in prison he's laying in prison he's laying, laying in prison cell and I had the exact same thought at the exact same time I'm like she's still alive He's like, she's still alive. Yeah, he just he wakes up saying she's still alive. And he's like, she's still alive. They're like, no, we have a body that matches this person. I'm like, where's Marianne Simpson? You never fucking found her. Mm-hmm. She's Marianne. She, and then, and Oscar's like, no, she isn't. She matches her dental record. Yeah. She matches everything else. And there's where the really clever part the comes The money in. is go- like missing, yeah. gone. She, he's like, doesn't that prove something? And it's like, yeah, it proves that she put it somewhere and now nobody knows where the fuck it is because she died. <laughs> um, and so he's not getting any traction with his cop friend who has now lost, you know, all... Mm support of him because he's just like you murdered a man because i think at this point ned has said i did in fact kill right. a man like but this bitch is still on and um he orders a yearbook because he doesn't think everything that she made up was that made up and he finds he he gets the yearbook, however long that takes, and he opens it up, and he looks for the name that she, he knew her as, Maddie, whatever it was, Smith. I don't think that was it, but that's fine. And it's not her. It's a pretty blonde girl, but it is not her. And then he looks up Marianne Simpson, and that is the picture of Kathleen Turner as a young child saying something like I want to be rich and live in exotic places right. <laughs> or something like that and like that's her her senior quote and then we cut to her on a beach ordering a drink in the sun and she's going to live as Marianne Simpson her actual name forever we don't know when or where or how um the like the other girl had a pretty fucked up life was probably a drug addict at some right. point was visiting did get some money from her but was then killed by Maddie and put in the so boathouse the girl in the boathouse is a girl that that he had seen right yeah, yeah and she is the actual um what's her real name Maddie Maddie Walker or Tyler yeah. 
yeah. guess was her... Tyler, I believe, is her right. original Maddie name. Tyler, Maddie so Tyler is her nay. The fact that she just assumed this other woman's identity. Yes. And lived with it, that's a real... From at least the time that right. she... Got engaged to... Got, or en- got met. Met Edmund Walker. Edmund Walker, yeah. And had a plan in place the whole time. Probably had a plan with a rich man. Right. And found that rich man. Like, And then will need a shitty lawyer. Mm-hmm. And then found that lawyer. Now... I will argue that she was lucky that Ned Racine was the type of man who will stalk and break into a woman's house. Because I, that wasn't necessarily true by the fact that he fucked up this will. He could have just been a nebbishy, well, you know. The other thing that Ned Racine is known job. for is his sexual appetite. Yes. I mean, Ted Danson, Peter Lowenstein is complaining about, well, you can't go monogamous because I live my life vicariously through you. Vicariously through you, yeah, and all of your many women in uniform. She knew that she had the tools to attract his attention. Of course. And if she just teased him enough that she would get him interested. I don't know that she was 100% malicious all the time. I think she probably cared for him. Right, I mean, I think... Whatever her way was, but I don't think... The final expression on her face does not look happy. Like, she has got what she wanted, but she's left some things behind. And maybe that's me reading into it. Uh, But it seemed to me like the way that I read her story is that her high school wishes to get rich and live in exotic uh, land, right? Yes. Um, That she could have done that married to Edmund Walker, but he turned out to be just a gangster. Yes, but also she was definitely put on a leash, right? Right. She couldn't go where she wanted to go. She right. was probably had an allowance. Like, so I think she that, had to sleep with this dude who was a fucking murderous arsonist. Like... Well, that's what I mean. I think that it could also be that she actually tried to make her dream come true a more legitimate way. way. and then realized it, it just, that that's no, not No, it's not going to happen. Mm. You are on a terribly short leash. You have to stay at this tower Well. I'm away from it, and, you know, you perform for me. Yeah. And you look decorative, and that was basically the the, the size of it. So I, I almost want to extend to her, like, some sort of, well, maybe you were, um, you were, at some point, you were being honest, and maybe that's just me being the same kind of guy that Ned Racine is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so that's that's the movie. She gets away with it, and he gets you know patsied up. I mean, he's not full patsy. He did murder. No, a man. he did murder, and he's the one who suggested murdering him. He did. He, he brought, brought it, it up. up. He did. Uh, although, well, she planted the seed by saying, "Don't think of a white elephant." What are you going to think about a fucking right. white elephant? And she starts saying, "Don't think about if my husband was dead." <laughs> Like, well, <laughs> that's not, what? Yeah. Oh, my God. So, so that's funny. Was it thrilling? I think it was. I think so, too. There's I think a plan coming together. I love a plan coming together. There, there was different kinds of thrills. I mean, there's, for the, the, the people who are comfortable watching sex on the big screen, there's a lot of that. For me, it was the, the elaborate steps she took to, create this entire way of backing out of this gracefully and getting away with it. Yeah. 
It was impressive. Yeah. Good job, lady. I mean, bad job. Decidedly bad job. But but good job at being being bad, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, Kathleen Turner's so good. William Hurt's face acting, so good. Ted Danson dancing, so good. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> it was fun. Uh, also, it went quick. I feel like it's like an hour and 56 minutes, and it didn't drag at all. It was... It dragged a little bit. It's so hot, y'all. It's so hot. Well, uh, yeah. So what did you did you feel it dragged the first half or the second half? The first half. The first Which half. Which I think is why, mm-hmm. like, when I l- went and looked for synopses, it, a lot of it literally was just, like... Really truncates the first half. Ned, Ned and Maddie meet, and she, she seduces him into helping her kill her husband or whatever. And then it's several that's, paragraphs that's on also, that. Also, to well, me, because one of the, the issues with film noir is that it really does create the femme fatale. There's a good girl and there's a bad girl. Yeah, there's and no good girl in this one. Yeah, there's no good girl in this Maybe one. it's Glenda, the uh, waitress, waitress at the... That, that probably would be. <laughs> at the diner. Uh, but it's just... Well, not all of them have a good girl and a bad girl, but generally those are the two types of women you yeah. run into in film more. And yeah. so often it's a struggle between the two of them. I think in this story, I think Kathleen Turner kind of up until the very end, or near the middle, rather, you can see that she was playing like both. Yes. And so that that was an interesting contribution. Well, to be fair, mm-hmm. well, first of all, women are many things. Right. All women are many things. Um, but second of all, you can't be the bad girl all the time because then people know you're the bad girl. Right. You're not going to dupe anybody if all you are is bad. So... You know, yeah. All right. Is that? Yeah. Are we good? That's really right. good. So next week, we're going to watch a very different film. We're going to be doing 1995's Braveheart. <sighs> okay. Have you seen this movie? I saw this movie many, many, many years ago. Same. I might have seen it in a theater. Oof. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not a Mel Gibson fan or apologist, so that's going to be a situation for me. I'll make it work. It's going to be fine. But please know that I do not like him as a person. I guess I kind of like him as an actor, but as a per, it's very difficult for me to separate actors from their person, their person, because it's their human body that right. I'm looking at and their voice saying things. And I'm like, well, that's very close. Um, you know, I, it's easier for me to separate like a painter or something where I'm not looking at the person he's a, in their work. He's a strange guy. We'll talk about yeah, him more. He's a very yeah. odd one. But, um, yeah. but we are, we are going to watch the movie because that is what's next on the list. It'll be fine. William Wallace, they can take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. I would argue that you aren't free in death. But I could be wrong. I've never been dead. So we can talk about it more next week. In the meantime, do you have anything you would like to recommend? Yes. Last week you recommended a TV show. I did. It was called On Apple TV. Nope. Um, it's on Apple TV? Epics. Oh, my God. I'm doing so poorly today. Um, the premise of it is that these people going down a, uh, get at first lost Going down a road. Yeah, it feels like. <laughs> yeah. And then wind up in a town. It's a mysterious town where they are 
given electricity and they are given um well there is electricity well, there is, we well, yeah. it's being given it's from somewhere uh but these people live in this sort of like little clutter of houses they have to be in their homes before dark because horrible things happen and uh and so they're learning to live there it's it's similar to lost even has features some of the same actors too but I think that uh, what I liked about this show, when we f- saw the ending of the first season, is that uh, it really did go in its own direction. They established all sorts of strange mysteries, and there was a uh, they. I I don't want to say too much about it. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> but it is a really it's an interesting program if you like that kind of, like Lost, this sort of science fiction mystery that you're sort of playing together. And it it might involve all sorts of other forces we don't know yet. And we still don't know. Yeah. We watched the season finale yesterday. We don't know if there will be a season two. Uh, there is a big cliffhanger. We don't, we still don't know anything. What about you? Do you have anything to recommend? Severance. We started watching Severance on Apple TV, which does have a season two. We are only two episodes in. Uh, it's also a sci-fi situation, more hard sci-fi than like supernatural sci-fi in this case. And it is uh, got Adam Scott, a shaved Adam Scott. He looks very different than the Adam Scott I am familiar with. And a John Tuturo and a Patricia Arquette. And they work in a company that is a pharmaceutical plus company on a floor where they have undergone a surgical procedure that allows them to, well, that disallows them from remembering what happens at work when they're at home and vice versa. So they now ostensibly have two selves. Right, two identities. One that is always at work and one that is always not at work. That one at least goes to and comes from the building, Mm -hmm. but has no knowledge of what happens in there. And then we see some of what they do, which also doesn't make any sense. Not yet. Uh, And then there's a breakout person who is trying to bridge that distance between home self and work self. And there's, you know, it's a, it's still a controversial thing to do. And the, our, our main character probably did this largely because he is in mourning for his wife and wanted eight hours a day where he didn't have to think about her. But we don't know what the other people's reasons are. Chris Walken showed up in this last episode um, as the most non-Chris Walken per- character I've seen him as in a long time. I was like, hey, he's just being an actor. He's just. Being right. a person in this world, do I think it's gonna he's gonna be weirder later? Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> but so far, it's very compelling and interesting. I don't know what's gonna happen, and also I do know there's a season two. So I like when I don't know what's gonna happen. Uh, I don't. I like when I'm surprised by developments in the plot that are logical that make sense along with the story. Yeah. 
I don't like it when something comes in from left field. It's like, oh no, it's dolphin. I'm like, what? But, but right, no. what you we what? We're not anywhere near the ocean. What are you talking about? Right. Yes, I yeah. hate that when that happens. It's like no, then I, I. It's like you gave up, you painted yourself into a corner, and then you ran through the paint really quick and left footprints. They were like, don't mind those footprints. <laughs> they they were never there. <laughs> it's like no. Uh, I guess it's we just were watching a scene from Misery, mm-hmm. and she talks about. How the cliffhangers, right? When she was a kid, would cheat, and she hated it, and she wouldn't let him cheat. Like, you have to bring this character back, but the last place she was was in a casket in the ground. Go, like you can't right change that now. And I'm like, well, but that's not. I mean, I get how that's frustrating to you, but also, I can't just. Am I inventing vampires? What are you talking about? How am I going to... Yeah, so it's that kind of thing. You're like, no, I need breadcrumbs. <laughs> breadcrumbs, please. Don't cheat. Don't lie to me. Um, yeah, so that's that's good. I'm really enjoying it. All right, next week, Braveheart. This week, Body Heat. The week after next? Uh, it was wet this week. It'll be dry next week. And then we're back to wet with the Poseidon Adventure. Oh, so God. That's our upcoming. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that with you. Things. I've never seen that it either. We're probably, going into a, a a bunch of things that I have not. It'll probably be really terrifying, though, for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll talk about that a yeah. little bit next week. Um, so, for now, I would... Uh, or if you have questions or comments or concerns, you can find us on Facebook by searching the Latecomers Podcast. Uh, you can tweet at us at LatecomersPod, or you can email us at LatecomersPod at gmail.com. I will put up another thing in a couple of weeks for the May thrills, but uh-huh. I think we're on a good schedule at this point. And uh, keep a lookout for this weekend for our Without Works episode, yes. which we have yet to record, so wish us luck. And I would like to remind you to take your medicine. And we would like to remind you, better, better late, late than, than never. never.